Well, good morning, Good Shepherd. Whether you are live uh, at our, our campus in Charlotte, North Carolina, or live stream, I am Talbot Davis. So glad that you're connecting with us. I'm always glad to be able to engage back with you. And this uh, message series is called The Sweet 16th. Three weeks that we are devoting to a place in the Bible called Psalm number 16. Today's message is called, Why is Peace and Calm So Hard to Find? Why are peace and calm so elusive? And uh, from having conversations with so many of you, I know that's a true description of a lot of your lives. And uh, throughout this message series, we're, we did it last week. If you weren't here, I'm so glad you're here today. But we're going to do it again today. And spoiler alert, we will do it again next week. We're doing something a little bit different when it comes to how we engage with the particular section of the Bible together. I want to invite you, as you're able, to rise on your feet out of reverence and respect for the Scripture. And we are going to read the words of Psalm number 16 out loud and together. Now, the Bible, again, you may not know this, you may be very familiar with it. The Bible is not a book, but it is a library, a lot of books, a lot of authors, a lot of styles. And like any good library within the biblical library, there's a songbook. And the songbook we call the Book of Psalms, P-S-A-L-M-S. And there's, there are 150 of them numbered consecutively. And out of those 150, Psalm number 16 is sort of overlooked and underappreciated. And I didn't even know about it till a couple of months ago when I read it one morning and it just sort of stunned me with how good it was. And as we read this out loud and together, the words are going to be on the screen. When you come across words in the, in the word family that have to do with things like delight and, and joy and pleasure and gladness and rejoicing, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and just circle those words. And if your Bible's not with you, just note them in your mind because they matter to what Psalm 16 is all about. So with all of that, let's read this out loud and together. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, and surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And therefore, my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. And my body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And good shepherd, we don't worship the Bible, but we do love it. 
And the reason we love the scriptures is because loving the scriptures helps us to adore the Savior, and we do worship him. So out of that conviction, we lift up the scripture in this place, and it may seem like an odd thing to do. I mean, we stand out of reverence, we lift it up out of reverence, but we've discovered that this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community. We're a collection of people who are surrendered to the authority of the word and ready for its power to be let loose in our lives. Amen? And before you have a seat, I'm going to pray over this message. So God, I am powerless without you. But thank you, Lord, that because of you, I'm not helpless. Fill me now from the bottom of my feet to the sole top of my head with everything that's good and joyful and filled with gladness about you. In your name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, there is a a reason that I called this message, why are peace and calm so hard to find? Because I do know that there is one thing that almost everybody craves and yet so few people can find. Everybody wants it, but it's extremely elusive. And that one thing is peace. And when I say peace, the peace that people want, I don't mean peace in Syria and I don't mean peace in Ukraine, though those could be nice. I do, instead, I mean like inner peace, serenity. Really what I'm talking about is the kind of life where outer stability, and outer stability, I mean like you got a car that runs and you got a roof over your head, and you got a family that's by and large functional, and you have a job, that outer stability is matched by inner calm. We we want that, and yet so few people have it. And then you, you add to that outer instability that a lot of people go through, and that's when you don't have a job, and your car doesn't really run, and you have uncertain housing, and and your family's all fractured, that when you have that outer instability, man, the anxiety and and the stress just increases exponentially. So yeah, so many people tell me so many times that you wish you could have peace, you wish you could sleep well at night, and yet the thing that you want the most seems to be the thing that's hardest to grab onto, and honestly, you have the prescriptions and the ulcers to prove it. It's a little bit like the woman who called 911 one morning and she says to the operator, come quick, it's my husband. And the operator says, well, what happened? And he said, well, she said, well, he got up and he took his vitamin and then he took his appetite suppressant and then he took his antihistamine and then he took his mood stabilizer and then he took his benzodiazepine and then he lit a cigarette and there was an explosion. <laughs> you think? And you may not be that loaded up or that combustible, but you know what I'm talking about. And most of you come from the conviction when, when, when you want peace, you come from this conviction that if things would just get better, that you would be better. 
that by and large, the, the, the key to inner peace is an improvement in, an upgrade in your outer circumstances, the situation until you, in, in which you find yourself. And, and, and because of all of that, because of the, the way that peace seems so elusive, because of the way that most of us think, if things would just get better, then I would be better. And we, 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 by and large, we have, we have this peace as a goal in our life. Man, I'd give anything. I'd give anything if I could just have less stress and more peace on the inside. But with all of that, I'm just really glad that we're going to be able to spend a few minutes together looking not only at Psalm number 16, but at a subsection within Psalm 16. Because as I mentioned earlier, the, the, the 16th Psalm overlooked underappreciated. I mean, even Bible nerds, even people very familiar with the Bible. I don't know, even people who've been preachers for like more than 30 years don't even really know that it's in there. And yet when we discover that it's in there and we see that it promises over and over all these words from this word family of delight and joyful and rejoice and pleasant, it's like, man, I want some of that. And so within, and and Psalm 16, I don't think I mentioned this earlier. It's written by David, same David who slew Goliath and had his time with Bathsheba, was king of Israel. We think it's about 1,000 BC, so over 3,000 years ago. And and within Psalm 16, he has this marvelous subsection that I can't wait to show you what what it's all about. Take a look at verse 5, first of all. Psalm 16. Verse five says this, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. So secure. Then skip down to verse nine. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest. What? Secure. So you got security in verse 5 and security in verse 9, which means that whatever else comes in between those, this bookend of security, it's got to be about that. That's just sort of the way the Bible goes. It's sort of the way most writing goes. That when you have bookends, what's in between the bookends is really about reinforcing what is on either side. So, and when David in Psalm 16, when he talks about security there, my lot will be secure. My body will be secure. He, he's not talking about a security system. He's not talking about a security blanket. He's not talking about social security. He is not even talking about the national security advisor. Instead, when he talks about security there, he's discussing this thing that we're talking about, inner peace, a sense of of calm, where outer stability is in fact matched up with inner health. Really what David is saying here is that he's got the thing that we're looking for. He, he's got the key to unlock this thing that so many of us want and so few of us get, which is inner peace. And, and so it makes a lot of sense. For, since he's got the key, we ought to figure out what it is. And, and, and because honestly, if you ask most of us, Well, what would it take? What would it take for for you to have more peace in your life, more serenity in your heart? You ask most of us that question, and and our answers would all have to do with improving our circumstances 
and upgrading our situation. Like most of us think that I don't have any problem that a few more zeros on my paycheck wouldn't solve. I'm not dealing with anything that a better spouse wouldn't fix. I don't have any hangups that better parents wouldn't have prevented. So yeah, you and and me and all of us, we think that improving our circumstances, upgrading our situation will have everything to do with making us more peaceful on the inside. And beyond that, a good chunk of us, we think, yeah, in, in terms of goals in life, yeah, I would really like one of my, one of my top goals in, in my life, I would love to have that sort of peace of mind. I'd love to have my outer stability matched with my inner peace. And, and so that's the way it is with so many of us. And, and it makes sense since, since our inspired author, you know, we think the Bible's inspired and eternal and true. Since he has what we want, we ought to test the hypothesis and we're going to Test the hypothesis by looking at what it is that comes in between verse 5, security, verse 9, security. And we're going to do so by looking at the security sandwich, we would call it. And look at verse 8. We're going to work our way backwards from 8 to to 7, which is so pivotal for everything that goes on. Look what it says in in verse 8. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand... I will not be shaken. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. You, you know what that means? Like the Lord has actually become my priority in life. I, I devote a lot of time to getting to know the Lord better, to becoming more familiar with his word, to devoting time to prayer, to surrounding myself with his people. He is my priority. And beyond all that, because of all that, because he's always on my mind and always in my eyes, I have a new first question when I have a decision to make. You, you, you know we have decisions to make, like all the time. You got decisions to make. Like, what do I... What do I do with this money I have? Do I move in with him? Because I really love him. Do I settle in with her even before we've settled on a date? What, What do I do with this unplanned pregnancy? Decisions. Some of which you are facing right now. And for most of us, when we have a heavy decision, like, do I move in with her? What do I do about this baby that's on the way that I did not see coming? What do I do with my money? When we're faced with these kind of decisions, what sort of wisdom do we go to? What do people tell tell us? Trust your gut. Follow your heart. Ask somebody. Ask your friends. Well, when you look at this verse, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. You have a new first question. What is your new first question? What does the Lord say about this decision? Since he knows what's best for me way better than I do. Did you hear that? The Lord knows what's best for you way better than you know what's best for you. Every no that the Lord ever sends in your life is laced with love. He does not want to cramp your style. He wants to free up your life. 
And so since he knows what's best for you better than you know what's best for you, the new first question becomes, what does the Lord say? How has he already weighed in on this topic? And if you don't know the answer to that question, if you're not familiar enough with the scriptures, you had not been connected in church long enough, ask. It's what the church is here for. Don't trust your gut. Because when you think about it, your gut's kind of gross. And your gut lies. Your gut tells you what you want to hear. The Lord tells you what you need to hear. So you got a whole new first question in the middle of this security sandwich. And then look at verse 7. I love what it says in verse 7. I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night. My heart instructs me. You know what that's saying? Even when I'm asleep, that when you spend your waking hours focused not so much on your peace and not so much on your circumstances and not even on your situation, but even when you spend your waking hours focused on the Lord, it is amazing, it is remarkable the degree to which even in your sleeping hours, he'll minister to you. Man, I I can't tell you how often this has happened to me in such a vivid way. I I can't tell you how often that I have experienced being working on a, a, a sermon, this thing that I'm doing right now, working on it at night. And not Saturday night, for crying out loud. It's Tuesday night and like a couple months before I deliver it to you, but working on a sermon and I cannot figure out what it is I want to say. I'm there at night at my desk just scribbling away and it doesn't come to me how it is that I want to say what I want to say in a way that's memorable and punchy and convicting and helpful. I just can't get it. And finally, at the end of the night, when the words don't come, I just throw up my hand and I'm like, I got nothing. And I climb into bed and wrap the pillow around my head and go to sleep. And it's amazing that the next morning I wake up and maybe I'm brushing my teeth or which I do in the morning, can I hear an amen? And, and, <laughs> Maybe I'm brushing my teeth or maybe I'm scribbling and there it is. What I was trying to say all along and all I needed to do was sleep on it. And it would. And if you don't think that getting a sermon down, the wording right and the direction it's going to head, if you don't think that's the most peaceful, easy feeling I have in any week, you don't know me at all because it is. That's the way he works. And it wouldn't happen if he hadn't been the last thing on my mind, the last thing before I went to bed. And all of that, good shepherd, this this sandwich in between the security of verse 5 and verse 9, it really leads me to the takeaway that I want for you, all of you who long for more peace in your life. It's this, your peace doesn't come from improving your circumstances. It comes from changing your priorities. Your life, if you've been thinking all this time that if things would just get better, you will be better, you've been doing it wrong. If you've thought that upgrading your situation would lead to improving your inner health, you've been doing it wrong. If you have thought that peace was a goal in life and you're running after that goal, guess what? You've been doing it wrong. Real peace 
doesn't confuse the, the cause with the result. See, we run after peace as if it's the great cause in life. No, it's not. You run after Jesus and he is the great cause of your life. And when he becomes the great cause of your life, the, the miraculous thing is that you get all kinds of side benefits among them, peace, serenity, and calm. The harder you run after peace, the more you pursue calm, the more you guarantee you'll never get it. The more you run after Jesus, the more he becomes priority in life. Ha, ah, that. And that alone is how you will get this elusive thing known as peace. Your peace does not come from improving your circumstances. It comes from changing your priorities. See, what I'm talking about is like this here experiment that I want to do for you. Demonstration. You've been wondering, why does he have all that stuff up there all this time? And here's what I want you to know. This is your life. And these are like the big things in your life. I got softballs here. And if you've ever been hit by a softball, you know that a softball is anything but soft. But th these softballs are like the big things in your life. Making sure you go to heaven after you die, that sort of matters. Knowing Jesus more, becoming familiar with his word, having healthy relationships, the, having a good prayer life, these, knowing the scripture, these are big things in your life. And then these ping pong balls, these are the little things in life. And what we do is we spend all of our time pursuing the little things in our life, making sure that we have a good reputation, making sure that our bank account is filled, making sure that our appearance is right, making sure that our kids behave, making sure that we got the job we want, making sure that we have taken the carpet out of our house and now we have hardwood floors. <laughs> and what happens is we have so many little things in life that when it comes time for the big whoops, we spent so much time filling our life with the little things even peace, that we don't have room for the big stuff. And yet the reverse, when you do the important things first, come on, softball. <laughs> have y'all ever heard a preacher swear during a... <laughs> when you do the big things first... <laughs> when you do the big things first, then... This is going to end up a disaster. <laughs> then look what happens. All the little stuff has room because you took care of what was important first. I need an amen for that demonstration. And, and at nine o'clock, it, it was only a couple of ping pong balls that fell at nine o'clock and it was mayhem in this place. But that's what it's like. That's what happens. We spend so much energy pursuing the result, which is the ping pong balls, instead of the cause, which is the softball ball, the big stuff, which is Jesus. 
Your peace does not come from improving your circumstances. It comes from changing your priorities. Or, or in a less dramatic way, it's like what happened to me with these reading prompts that we do, which you'll hear more about in a few minutes. But, but every, every morning uh, over the last five years or so, I started putting together what we now call Come Alive Daily and helping people uh, read the Bible together in this community, hundreds actually in this church and beyond, read it every day. And, and, but the reason that it started is because I recognize in my own life that I was very distracted in the morning. I was always reading the newspaper. Yes, baby boomer, reading the newspaper or watching the news and getting agitated about what's going on and that I was not starting my day in the word. And then about five years ago, when I began starting my day in the word rather than the world, you wouldn't believe the benefit that happened in my life because I think about Jesus first thing in the morning, I think about him all day long. And you might think that a preacher on the other side of middle age just now beginning to think about Jesus all day long, well, that's a little bit of a problem, and I guess it is. But the thing is, I, I got it worked out, and I got it fixed because I began to begin my days with what is timeless rather than what is timely, with what is ultimate rather than what is urgent, and in so doing, my whole spiritual life turned around. And this thing that I wasn't even chasing, I was chasing Jesus. What did he give me? <sighs> Peace. Marrieds. Maybe the reason that you don't have any peace in your marriage has nothing to do with your spouse. Has more to do with you. But maybe the real reason is that all this time, you two as a couple, you have been chasing happiness as a couple, and Jesus wanted you to pursue him. And that when you pursue him as your goal, how can we be radical? How can we be completely committed to running after him so that together as husband and wife, we are not only growing stronger individually in our faith, we're growing stronger as a couple. And in so doing, we're reflecting the love of Jesus to the world. When you begin to pursue him, hello, happiness gets thrown in. Your, your goal as a couple isn't happiness, it's godliness. And you pursue that and you get all the other stuff as well. Singles, singles again. Who? You pursue romance? Some of you I know because you've told me some of you even compromised your deepest held convictions to get romance or to keep romance. And instead, what you ought to be pursuing, what you have the great privilege of pursuing is I'm not gonna pursue romance anymore. I'm gonna pursue him. How can I know Jesus better? How can I understand his word more clearly? How can I surround myself with people whose life is on the same trajectory? And the great thing is when you stop pursuing romance and you start pursuing the Lord, like attracts like that you, you, you're not running after, not, not chasing after new relationships. You're chasing after your relationship with the Lord. And all of a sudden, who comes into your life? People with the same values. It's kind of like me and what, getting a Nissan Maxima. Well, what kind of cars do I notice out on the road now? I notice all, uh, not the Camrays. 
Losers, I notice. I notice all the Nissan Maximas on the road and I see them and I'm like, you are almost as cool as I am. Like, like attracts like that when the more you pursue Jesus, the more you will notice and be noticed by, hello, people pursuing the same thing or the same savior. Parents, you likely want your kids the best for your kids and because you want the best for your kids, you're focused on their grades and you're focused on their sports, and you might even be focused on their appearance. And it's really important for you that your, your kid grows up and, and gets, into, gets into Clemson or gets into Carolina, North or South Carolina. You see how I manage that with a, <laughs> a church on the border, North or South Carolina. Do you, spend, do you spend as much time and energy ensuring they get into heaven? Do they hear from your lips that the best thing about life is becoming a bought person? That there's no greater joy than celebrating the fact that you have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus? And then in addition to being bought by Jesus, what a great privilege to say every day, I really am powerless without you, but because of you, I'm never helpless. You moms and dads, you are the main influencers in the spiritual lives of your children and your grandchildren. And they need to hear that sense of priority from you before they hear it from anyone else. Because your peace and their peace does not come from improving your circumstances. It comes from changing your priorities. And I love, love, love to see it break through. A couple of months ago, I went into the a hospital room to see a man who was very, very sick, literally in his last days. And when I walked into his room, what was he doing? He was lying prone on his back, hand slightly raised, Music softly playing and him quietly singing. His circumstance was he was dying. His peace was that he knew where he was going. And that kind of peace demonstrated by that kind of man does not happen overnight. It is the fruit of years and years of making Jesus priority number one in life. And the best time for you or for you or for you to have established him as that priority in life was 20 years ago. And the second best time is today. Because your peace does not and will not come from improving your circumstances. It comes from changing your priorities. We have a tool that I wanna share with you. And then we're gonna pray over this message. The tool to help you do exactly what I'm talking about is called Come Alive Daily. I know there's people in here who thought the Bible is weird and strange and I can't make any sense of it. And Come Alive Daily, it actually now goes to about 2,000 people every morning. And if you sign up at giacharlotte.org and slash email and scroll down to Come Alive Daily and give us your email and your name and your social security and your W-2, no, just, just your email. 
give us all that. Tomorrow morning at 4 a.m., you will have a Come Alive Daily in your email inbox. You'll join 2,000 other people getting that same email. And the good news is we are starting the Gospel of John tomorrow. So if you have no familiarity with the Bible, Come Alive Daily is the way to gain it. And of all the books in the Bible to start your journey with Jesus and changing those, those priorities, John is the best. And it's already written, it's already loaded. Sign up, 4 a.m. tomorrow, it'll be there for you. Because we not only want to give you a message today, we want to give you a tool to live it out. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you are less interested in improving our situation than you are in changing our priorities. Do that in the life of every person within the sound of my voice. In your name we pray. Amen.